my name is Joel Tillis. You have tuned in to the Soul Trap. Thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen to the broadcast whenever you listen to it, wherever you listen to it. We trust that it finds you in good health, good spirits, and most of all, on that good and narrow way. Make sure to check out the Soul Trap on Facebook. You can also reach us at Pastor Tillis at suncoastbaptistchurch.org. We'd love to hear from you. We always appreciate the feedback that we get. And uh, it means a great deal to us. Thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen. Well, I've put it off as long as I can. I've done as much research, I think, as I can. And today, we're going to be talking about the shooting in Las Vegas. The truth is that the Las Vegas shooting is not a conspiracy theory. I was watching for just a few minutes, sadly, uh, the other night, uh, The Five on Fox, and Greg Gutfeld said, well, you know, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories, but there are some things that are very concerning and confusing about this uh, shooting out there in Las Vegas. And I thought to myself, the Las Vegas shooting is not a conspiracy theory. Whatever did or did not happen, whatever the motive may or may not have been, whomever was involved, foreign, domestic or both, one thing is very clear, clear to anyone that is willing to see. And that is the fact that when you look at the truth and when you see what little truth we do know, something and someone is being covered up. Why? I don't know. I can speculate like you can, but there simply is too much And when you begin to go down the rabbit hole, you begin to see that it's not speculation. It's not conspiracy theory. It is not a matter of doubt. Across the board, there has been a cover-up. From the history of Stephen Paddock himself, to how the shooting actually took place, to how many shooters there were, to the house being broken into, to the laptop being stolen only to be returned without its hard drive, to witnesses apparently dying to this strange nut job of a security guard who was at first the great hero that saved the day and then now come to find out after his hard-hitting expose on Ellen, we know less about him today than we ever have before. There has been a cover-up, either to hide abject incompetence or maybe something darker, something more sinister, yet the facts remain And the fix is in. The news media has moved on. I mean, they're done with it. We're back to Russia now. Um, We're back to, you know, uh, uh, um, veterans who have died. And how did Trump say he was sorry? And did he say it sorry enough? And all of that. But what has happened on that fateful night in the town that the world calls Sin City is still unclear. And I would submit to you it is more unclear today than it has ever been. Nothing in this case... Nothing in this case has been as we are told. Stephen Paddock was not a gambler gone off the deep end. He was not just an average Joe that snapped. The security guard is not a hero hero whose sacrifice may have stopped the shooting rampage. It was not a lone gunman with a bump stock. There were massive amounts of reports from highly credible witnesses that suggest there were at least two if not more shooters. Certainly we know, anybody who has an ear, knows that there was more than one shooter. 
The home was broken into. The crime scene investigation of the worst mass shooting in American history. And no one is guarding the home. It's broken into. What was stolen? What was put there? Nobody knows. We don't know. And we're not being told. The timeline was wrong. Was it six minutes or 40 seconds or simultaneously? No video has been released. Eerily similar to the story of the plane flying into the Pentagon. It was over a year and a half before any video was released. And that very, very weird and strange video when it finally was released in one of the most filmed regions in all the world. No video has been released. Cameras were everywhere in casinos, but we have only seen video that paints the narrative in the normal consumable light. Up is down and down is up, and the American public has moved on from it. Now, I have intentionally waited to do a podcast on this issue because I think that it is something far greater than the possibility of a Bigfoot tramping through the woods or whether or not Betty and Barney Hill were actually abducted or whether or not Hillary Clinton is a shapeshifter, which she is, by the way. What we witnessed on that night in Las Vegas and what we have experienced since that fateful night has been a cover-up in broad daylight, a cover-up at least close to, if not equal to, the Kennedy cover-up. Now let's cover some facts here for a minute and find our bearing and make sure that we are on the same page. Monday, September 25th, Stephen Paddock checks into Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino on the south end of the Las Vegas Strip. Now come to find out, he checked in with 19 rifles and hundreds of rounds of ammunition, but nobody spotted it, nobody noticed a thing. Paddock first arrived at the Mandalay Bay almost a whole week before the shooting. Police originally said he checked in on Thursday the 28th of September, but later updated that date to Monday the 25th, three days before. One of the first questions that has always come to my mind is, how, how is that missed? That's a pretty big deal. You don't know when he checked in? You don't know what day that was? They don't have any kind of record whatsoever? How do you miss Thursday the 28th versus Monday the 25th? That's a pretty big deal to know when the greatest mass shooter in American history checked into the Mandalay Bay. Now, according to Associated Press, he asked for a high-level suite overlooking Route 91 Harvest Festival, but couldn't immediately get one. A hotel source said that he didn't move into the 32nd floor room he used for the shooting until Saturday, the night before the attack. The AP said he was, quote, given the room for free because he was a good customer. Come again? On a Saturday night, a hotel in Vegas... You have a vacant suite and you move this guy into the suite just in time for him to be able to carry out his deeds. Now, another thing that's interesting to me, how did he get those guns from one room to another? Nobody saw it. Nobody paid any attention to it. There was nothing there. I mean, that's a lot of firepower to move around. And yet, mysteriously, miraculously, the night of the shooting, the afternoon of the shooting, in one of the largest hotels in Vegas, on one of the busiest nights, a Saturday night, a room comes open. Now, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department say they found 23 guns and thousands of rounds of ammunition in his room. My son and I go shooting from time to time. My uh, father-in-law has a piece of property in the central part of the state 
uh, about 30, 40 minutes from, from where we live. And uh, my son and I will go, and I have a shotgun, and uh, we, he has a twenty two. We have a, my son built an AR-15, and uh, we'll take a 45 and a 9mm and 32 and uh, 380. We got all kinds of stuff, and we'll go out there. You know, we'll take two bags of ammunition, and I couldn't tell you what the weight is, but two bags of ammunition for, for those kind of rounds like that. And, and let me tell you something, brother. That's some heavy weight. That's not something that you just sling around in a backpack. When we take it out there, it, it, it's pretty heavy to carry. And we're not talking about military-grade weaponry, 223s, 308s. We're not talking about that kind of round at all. We're talking about just shoot them up on the weekend, have a good time. This guy carried thousands of rounds of ammunition, according to the police. He appears to have apparently planned meticulously for the attack. Now, that's what they were reporting, but I believe that's wrong. And the reason why is... You would not need that many guns to try to do what we are told he was trying to do. Two, three, four guns at most would have sufficed. But there would be no reason to have that many different guns in the room. I can understand the ammunition, but why the difference in the guns? And were all of those guns the same caliber? I would be willing to bet you that they were not, which means you would have to have separate ammunition for each one. It just doesn't make sense. Now, as well as a large number of guns, Paddock set up at least three cameras to monitor the corridor outside, police said. Doesn't that sound kind of strange? Sunday, October 1st at 9.40 p.m., Route 91 Harvest Festival begins its closing act. According to Fox News, the country star Jason Aldean went on stage at 940 on the night of the shooting, he played for half an hour before the shooting began. He escaped unharmed and later paid tribute to his fans who were hurt and killed. At 9.59 p.m., Paddock shoots a security guard inside the Mandalay Bay. Now, remember that time, 9.59 p.m. Nobody understands anything about the timeline. We have no recorded video. We have no recorded audio. And the actual timeline is in question, and my goodness alive... Google and watch the interview of Ellen with the security guard. What kind of a numb moron is that guy? I'm not trying to be mean to the guy, but I'm, he has no idea what's going on. It's one of the most embarrassing things. It's like he's being coached and trying to remember what he's supposed to say. But be that as it may, at 9.59, he supposedly shoots the guard inside Mandalay Bay. Now, here's where the whole thing begins to fall apart. The first shots Stephen Paddock fired on October 1st were not on crowds of country music fans, but an employee just outside his door. In an update several days after the shooting, the police said that at 1 minute to 10, Paddock shot the security guard, Jesus Campos, on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay. Campos was supposedly investigating an open door, not the door to Stephen Paddock's room, mind you, when he was hit in the leg. He alerted hotel security and stayed on the floor until the police arrived. Now, it begs the question... Why was there any confusion about where the shooting was coming from? You've got a shooting in a Vegas casino. A shooting of a security guard on the 32nd floor. Where was the 911 call? Was a 911 call put out? When the police were on the floor, why wasn't there an immediate understanding of the connection between the rounds raining down from the 32nd floor 
and the fact that there was a shooting of a security guard on the 32nd floor. Now, the sheriff also changed the timeline of the shooting, explaining that a security guard in the hotel's hallway responded to the report of an open door because he heard drilling from Paddock's room. Drilling for what? Nobody has fully explained. Paddock, who had installed three cameras to monitor the approach to his suite, opened fire through the door, spraying 200 shots down the hall and wounding the guard who alerted other security officials. Now, beloved, again... You might not be a gun person. You might not be a, a gun guy or gal. I'm not saying that I necessarily am either. But you don't just spray 200 rounds. <laughs> you, you, you don't just squeeze off, oops, there goes 200 rounds. That's a lot of firing. Even if he has a 50-round magazine. To shoot 200 rounds, he's got to change the magazine four times. Even if he has a 100-round magazine, he's got to change it twice, and that barrel's red, flipping hot. Chances are he's got a 30-round magazine, which means to get 200 rounds down range, you do the math, he's got to change it, what, eight times, six times? Five times? Is that what it would be? In other words, you don't just spray 200. That's a lot of rounds he's throwing down range. Almost as if he's having a gunfight. That's what you spray 200 rounds for. Because you have a gunfight going on. You're not just trying to kill one security guard. Are all those rounds, supposedly the bullet holes, 200, are they all the same caliber? Or was there a gunfight taking place up there? And that's what the security guard heard. A few minutes later, after shooting, Paddock began his killing spree. So the report states. Previously, the sheriff had said the guard's arrival in the hallway may have caused Paddock to stop firing. He said he didn't know what prompted Paddock to end his deadly gunfire, and we still don't to this very day. Now, this timeline has been changed, and no doubt it will be changed again and again and again, but why would he shoot the security guard? What was he doing there in the first place, and how does a man with 23 automatic weapons only wound an unarmed security officer? If this guy's good enough to hit people with a bump stock four to five to 600 yards away, he can't kill an unarmed security guard? With 200 rounds? Six minutes later, Paddock began his main killing spree. At 10.05 p.m., Paddock starts shooting, out, uh, starts shooting out or knocking out the window using a particular tool. Using multiple rifles, Paddock rained bullets on a crowd of 22,000 people below him. Police said security footage from inside the hotel, which you and I have not seen, nor will we probably ever see, showed the first shots were fired at 10.05. Stop. Stop right there for just a second and listen to what was just said. If security footage, which no doubt has been monitored by the security guard, has been shot, how did the police not know exactly what floor and what room it was coming from? Listen, beloved, there are security and they are being monitored everywhere. How did they not know exactly what floor and for that matter, what room the firing was coming from. 
Now, apparently, officers started to exchange radio messages about the shooting three minutes later. One exchange from 10.08 p.m. cited by Reuters features a voice saying, We got shots fired. It sounded like an automatic firearm. Las Vegas police say that Paddock fired a dozen or so volleys during the shooting. 58 people have been killed, over 400 people wounded, and some still may die from their wounds. At 10.12 p.m., police inside the hotel start to close in. What? What? 15 minutes after a guard has been shot? 10 minutes after supposed shots are coming from his room and they close in? Why? What were they doing? How did they not know that it was coming from there? He said, well, in the moment of chaos and confusion, no, 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 no. The first police to respond were officers who happened to be inside the Mandalay Bay for an event. Well, if they're there and the security people have reported that's being shot, why didn't they know exactly where to go? 13 minutes after the first shooting, they had made their way to the 31st floor, according to an official police timeline, and knew the shooter was one floor above them. At 10.13, police outside realize where the shots are coming from. Again, nothing here makes sense. If the police on the 31st floor knew the shots were coming from a floor above, why did the police on the street not know that? Why did not everyone involved know Citing police radio transmission, the New York Times said officers around Route 91 Harvest were still working out what was happening while colleagues inside the hotel were closing in. That does not make sense, ladies and gentlemen. Here, two lines, timestamp 10.13 p.m. This is two lines that came across the radio. Quote, it's coming from the 50th or 60th floor north of the Mandalay Bay. It's coming out a window. Another quote, we're seeing local flashes in the middle of Mandalay Bay on the north side, kind of on the west tower, but toward the center of the casino, like one of the middle floors. Those were two statements of where they believed gunfire was coming from. Now you Google and tell me what is on the north side of the Mandalay Bay. These cops are not ignoramuses. These are trained men and women. And these police officers saw two totally different things. There you have a timestamp of one saying we got shooting coming from the 50th or 60th floor north of Mandalay Bay. Another timestamp saying we've got someone shooting from the middle of the building of Mandalay Bay. These cops were seeing something different than the cops internally were. Fundamentally, we have to ask the question, where was the communication? Now keep all of this in mind as we go back to time. Uh, we go back in time to an official release on October 2nd. Before all the bullcrap started in the cover-up. Clive Woodson Jr. writes in the Washington Post that it wasn't the hundreds of muzzle flashes that exploded from the shooter's automatic rifle that gave away his position. No, nobody could see that. Nor was it the panic 911 calls from the people reporting the rhythmic thundering of gunfire. As the gunman identified as Stephen Paddock set off round after round, gun smoke filled his room on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay said Randy Sutton, a retired lieutenant with Las Vegas police. How did they know that he was in there? We were told on October 2nd, we found out about it because the smoke from the gun set off the fire alarm. That is not true. That's a lie. The security guard knew the room and the floor. Police on the 31st floor were radioing, saying they could hear gunfire coming from above them. 
Mandalay Bay itself knew the room and the floor. Why were we being told the very next day after the shooting, before all the reports came out, that it was some sort of mysterious gun smoke that set off an alarm? The report stated that the SWAT team used the alarm triggered by the smoke to zero in on Paddock's position in about 20 minutes. Now that is absolutely not true. The report went on to say that was not nearly enough time for a floor-by-floor search of the hotel which has over 3,000 rooms and 135,000 square feet. After they located his room, the SWAT team members used explosives to get inside, the sheriff's office said. Paddock, 64 years of age, killed himself before the officers entered, according to the Las Vegas Sheriff Joe Lombardo. All of that is bullcrap. They have no idea when he killed himself. They don't know that. And how could they release on October 2nd a report that stated that it was smoke that set off an alarm and that's how they found him when we have hard empirical evidence now that states clearly the cops on the 34th floor knew, the security guard knew, Mandalay Bay had to know, everybody knew where it was coming from except the guys that were getting shot out on the ground. And the reason they were unclear about where it was coming from is because, as we'll see in a few minutes, it wasn't just coming from above them. It was coming from all around them. According to the report, it was too late. Paddock had killed himself. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is what we call a lie. As the official timeline unfolds at 10.15, Paddock stopped shooting out the window. Why? A man who has thousands of rounds, 23 guns, and video to defend himself suddenly decides, nah, not going to shoot anymore. That doesn't make sense. Police say that Paddock kept firing for 9 to 11 minutes. In a briefing on a Wednesday evening, police gave a final time for the end of the attack as 10.15 p.m. The New York Times cites police radio at 10.20 as saying, it's been a while since we've heard any shots. At 10.17 p.m., first police arrive on Paddock's floor. Now, the police timeline says that two of its officers were on the 32nd floor by 10.17 p.m., 18 minutes after the attack began. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's an eternity in a crisis situation. That is an eternity. They find Campos, the wounded security guard, who tells them which room is, is Paddock's. They are soon joined by eight more officers and spent some of the following 15 minutes systematically searching the floors, other rooms, and evacuating guests. Why? Now, they've got to be hearing. Okay. If you're on the 32nd floor, just because you haven't heard him shoot doesn't tell you. They don't know at that time that he's dead. They've got to be hearing their fellow police officers down in the kill zone, radioing, blood everywhere, brains Body matter, bleeding out. Why are you searching room to room? They know that people are, be- people are being butchered by rifle fire. They know the room the guy's in. The security guard just told them. Why is not the priority to get in there and stop this guy? Well, we got to wait for SWAT team. Why? Well, he's got automatic weapons. Well, then don't be a police officer. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. 
Why was the first priority not to get down to the room and stop the attack? How did they know at that time that he wasn't reloading and getting ready to butcher another five dozen people? Now, maybe they did. At 10.24 p.m., police officers gather near Paddock's room. So we're told. Heavily armed police officers near Mandalay Bay. Again, citing police radio, the New York Times said that officers were right outside Paddock's hotel room at 10.24 p.m., 25 minutes after the shooting began. 25 minutes after the shooting began. One message said on radio, I'm on the 32nd floor. Quote, I'm on the 32nd floor. The room is going to be 135. Another said, it's room 135 on the 32nd floor. I need SWAT. A total of seven minutes, an eternity in a crisis situation passes before they even bother to tell everyone involved what room the shooter is in. It would be almost another hour, another hour until police would break into Paddock's room. Now, how do they know that he's dead? Well, he hasn't fired. That doesn't mean anything. How do they know he's not going to fire again? How do they know that he doesn't have a rocket launcher? How do they know that he's not going to start hurling grenades out? It would be almost another hour before the officers would break into Paddock's room. The timeline continues that at 1025, police issue active shooter alert locally. Taxi drivers in the area receive a message direct from the police at 1025 telling them to avoid Mandalay Bay area. According to Reuters, it said, quote, drivers avoid Las Vegas Boulevard and Tropicana. Active shooting from Mandalay Bay, quote, possible three shooters, end quote. Remember that number. Now, that was not a number that was hatched up by some guy sitting in a tinfoil hat in his room somewhere doing a recording. That was what was issued initially to the taxi drivers, not by Alex Jones, not by Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero, not by Joel Tillis on the Soul Trap, by the Las Vegas Police Department who were on the ground dealing with real-time information and the confusion of the moment, and they said possible three shooters. Remember that number. That's going to come back. Approximately 10.30 p.m., officers on the scene order passerby to take cover. Reuters reported that minutes after the alert to cab drivers, the police started hurting people inside Mandalay Bay to get them out of the line of sight of gunmen. So they're so afraid. Again, get the, get the contradiction. They're so afraid that he may shoot again, but not fearful enough to, to try to actually enter the room and stop him. Does that make sense? 10.40 p.m. You say, well, look, Tillis, you just don't understand tactics. No, you're right. I, I don't then. I don't. At that point, tactics go, tactics go out the window. You've got people bleeding and butchered in the street. You've got possible three shooters, and you're going to sit there and wait for SWAT? You're not going to try to do something to stop the guy? You're right. I don't understand tactics then. At 10.40 p.m., police wait for backup. According to Newsweek, officers ask permission to enter Paddock's room sooner, but were told to wait for SWAT. Okay. That's a long time to wait to even ask if you can go in. Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department Undersheriff Karen McCahill defended that decision in a press conference, saying that waiting was an option because Paddock was, quote, contained and had stopped firing out the window. Explaining the decision, he said, the floor had been evacuated of any guests, the suspect was contained and isolated within the room. 
Now, he just got caught in, in a lie. That's bull crap. Did you catch it? He's telling you what happened post-event. Let me read it to you again. Paddock was, quote, contained. Quote, the floor had been evacuated of any guests. The suspect was contained and isolated within the room, end quote. He just got caught in a lie. How did he know it was the suspect? How did he know? We just read that the Las Vegas police issued a statement that there were possibly three shooters. How at that time, not during the press conference, but at the time, how did they know that there was only one shooter in the room? How did they know that? How did they know he was contained? How did they know that there was not another shooter on the fourth floor? Not another shooter somewhere else? How did he know that there was only one suspect in that room? One hour, 21 minutes after the first shots were fired, a police SWAT unit detonated an explosive device to break down Paddock's door, according to the police. By this time, Paddock had already killed himself. 11.20 p.m., officers break down a second door and declare the scene safe. SWAT officers noticed a second closed door when they burst into Paddock's suite and could not immediately be sure what was behind it. So they didn't know what was going on in the room, but they knew enough that it was okay to wait because the suspect was contained. At 11.58 p.m., the timeline goes on. The police confirm that the gunman is down. Two minutes before midnight and almost two hours after the first shots were fired, the Las Vegas police tweeted confirmation, quote, one suspect is down, end quote. Not the suspect, as Mr. Undersheriff McCahill had stated. One suspect is down. Even when they're tweeting that, they're still convinced that there's possible multiple shooters. Again, note the wording, one suspect is down. Why would they word it that way? Because you are going to hear, as you're going to hear, everyone involved was certain at the moment. Not later on when the FBI and all the alphabet agencies and all the, not when they got around and started forming the narrative. At the moment when the adrenaline's pumping, when men and women are dealing with the crisis of the situation, at that moment, everyone involved was fairly certain there's more than one shooter. Again, the reason when Stephen Paddock was shot that the police tweeted out one suspect is down is because everybody involved at the time believed that there were more than one suspect. Now, the first audio that you and I are about to hear, and we're going to begin now to listen to some empirical evidence, not just the ravings of a mad guy with a microphone and some time on his hand. We're going to look at empirical evidence. And the first audio that you're about to hear is from the taxi driver video. I believe it is the Zapruder film of our time when it comes to this event. Now, what you're going to hear at first will open up with the distant sound of gunfire, and then you're going to hear a loud cracking of a close sound. Now, it could be arguably stated that what you're actually hearing is close fire, then the report, the, the report, and then the echo. A real loud pop, 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 and then in the distance, the immediate echo, pop, 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 pop. Fair enough. I don't believe that that's the case. In my opinion, what I believe you have is a triangulation of gunfire going on. I believe you have two shooters at a height. 
one very high and distant, one fairly low and close. And I believe there's also, as we'll find out in a few moments, a third shooter located around gate seven. But be that as it may, let me meet you halfway in this theory and say, okay, you are hearing close fire and echo. It will pick up first with the echo, then the close fire and echo. But what you can't get away from is in this audio, if you'll listen, in this audio, you'll hear that rhythm, close fire, then echo, close fire, then echo. But how do you explain when you come to the point where you hear the distant fire first and then the close report? That undoes the theory that it's nothing but an echo. You don't have the echo first and then what causes the echo. Listen to the shots and you tell me. Yeah, it does. It sounds like automatic gunfire. That's the voice of the taxi driver. Now it sounds like it's coming from um, farther away. The conspiracy theorist, I'm sure. Now, the problem with that being an echo is two things. Number one, your problem is, is that you're hearing the report and then the close fire. And that's not the way that an echo would sound. The second problem that you have is when you hear the, the last shooting, you hear the close fire. But then what people are saying is an echo is actually much longer. An echo doesn't last longer than what caused it. But you hear that gunfire, the second subversive gunfire for an extended period of time. Ladies and gentlemen, when you turn on Fox News, when you turn on CNN, nobody is talking about that. You get to actually look for it on YouTube. You have, at best, two different rifles being fired. And nobody is saying a word about it. You've got a rifle being fired in the distance, and the taxi driver there at the time was saying, yeah, it sounds like it's coming from off in the distance. That's why I'm saying the police betray themselves when they say we knew that he was contained. How did they know, quote unquote, he was contained? If they knew that it was just him, why did they send out a report, an official report to taxi drivers saying that it was reported there were three gunmen? Why were we picking up reports now from other casinos in the area that there were shooters in those casino areas there? At the Bellagio, at the New Yorker. Something isn't adding up here. And it's not just the whims. What makes this so startling is it's not just the, the theories or the ideas. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about empirical fact, eyewitnesses, sounds, and, 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 and the relativity or the, the relation of gunfire to sounds that we're hearing. Okay, so now we're going to listen to another video. This is piecing together several different things. Again, you're going to hear two different sets of quote-unquote, automatic weapons. Then you're going to begin to hear dispatchers talking back and forth. 
Now, I want you to listen to what they're saying at the moment on the time before anybody could begin to set the narrative of what was or wasn't happening. It sounds like it's confirmed there are at least two shooters with fully automatic weapons. Shots are coming for coming from gate seven. Gate seven. Shots are coming from gate seven. You can hear the gunfire overlapping in the distance. Now, what you heard there was overlapping gunfire. What you heard is one police officer screaming under gunfire that there's shots coming from Mandalay Bay. He's saying halfway up. We'll assume for the sake of argument now that that's the 32nd floor, but it's not. But he's saying from halfway up. And then you have another police officer who's saying, be advised, shots are coming from gate 7. Now, I was talking with a friend of mine who was a fireman. He was a forestry fireman. And he said the thing that strikes him is that when you're on the radio and you're in a crisis situation, is that that officer there, and he listened to it with me, and he said what strikes me is that that officer didn't say it's being reported, we think, it's possible, in a calm yet yet energized voice. You can hear him saying, be advised, shots are coming from gate 7. Now, if he doesn't know that and he's reporting that, he is putting lives in danger and risking delayed action. What struck that fireman is that he's making a statement of fact. And he said, very rarely will somebody say something like that if they don't have eyes on the situation. I would never report, he said, that there may be a breakout of the fire line unless I had eyes on it. Unless I could see it and say, hey, we have a breakout in the fire line here. When that police officer says, be advised, the shooter at gate seven, is he guessing? Is he thinking? Are a bunch of rednecks that are being shot at and half drunk and scared to death just telling him that? And so that's why he reports it? Or does he know that there's a shooter at gate seven? I submit to you that he knows there's a shooter at gate seven. That's why he's reporting it. Be advised, we've got a shooter at gate seven. Now, here's an eyewitness video. On the night of the shooting, I want you to listen to what this young lady begins to describe. Now, again, 
when you're listening to eyewitnesses, eyewitness reports can, can sometimes be inaccurate. You've got adrenaline, you've got fear, you've got confusion, and very few people are ballistic experts. But what strikes me about her is that she's not telling you, yeah, there was gunfire just coming from everywhere and it felt like it was coming from every which direction. And that would make sense if you were scared. If, if my wife were in that situation, she's not a ballistic expert. She's a literary expert, but she's not a ballistic expert. But if you were to ask her and she was in that situation, her or my daughter or somebody like that would say, yeah, gunfire was just coming from everywhere. It was just, it was just raining down all around us. And that, okay. You wouldn't know whether there are multiple shooters or not. But, but I want you to listen to what she says. This young lady is not saying that it was just coming from everywhere. She's telling you about exact events that are taking place. Listen to her description and tell me if this sounds like a hysterical person that doesn't know how to describe what's taking place. Or is she telling you exactly what happened and what she experienced? Listen to this audio. Uh, everyone started to get up to run they just kept shooting and it's like literally like five minutes of just shooting and people just kept dropping and it's definitely someone on the ground definitely most definitely the way they heard it the crowd and all of us and then they kept coming they even came into the part the back that parking lot and shot people out, out there too so it, they just kept coming and i hope they get them and what was the reaction down and then and they came in. That's why there's no physically human, physically humanly possible way that that guy that was the only shooter. If you were where we were and how we were hidden, and the way they came in and herded us all out, out into the staff parking lot, and then continued shooting into the staff parking lot. The Las Vegas Police Department is saying that they do believe that it is just one person at this point, but they believe that it came from the 32nd floor across. Could you tell it was coming from Mandalay Bay? Definitely the, the way there was a lot of headshots. So the way a lot of people got headshots and it was, yeah, like the guy, uh, you know, right there. Yeah. There's your shots fired. Okay, now, what I wanted you to see was, is that <laughs> she was telling you that they were being herded, that she could see shots coming from the back parking lot area, which consequently, and coincidentally, happens to be gate seven. Now, the reporter immediately begins to correct her. Well, the police are saying that there is one shooter. She's interviewing her that night. That's a lie. That reporter lied to her because we already went through the audio of the police and we already went through what they were saying. They were warning the taxi drivers that there was an estimate that there, there was a belief that there were three shooters. We have audio of them saying that there are multiple shooters. We've got audio of one guy saying they're at gate seven. So how does that reporter on the night that she's interviewing this lady know that the police say that there's one shooter? They haven't even gotten into the room yet. And fully clarified who was in there. So how did that reporter know that the police were saying that there's one shooter when the police aren't saying that there's one shooter at that point? As soon as she says that, she backs the young woman in the corner and the woman says, well, yes, of course there were headshots. Nobody's denying. I'm not denying that Stephen Paddock might have been up there or somebody might have been up there firing out of the 32nd floor. But that young lady was describing being herded. Ground level. I'll promise you, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be a gun expert. There's a huge difference from somebody shooting, 
from the 32nd floor versus somebody firing into a crowd across the other side of a parking lot. I promise you, you can tell the difference. Again, the point that I'm trying to get at is not that I have a specific explanation. I'm not at this point saying it's an inside job, it's a terrorist. I'm not saying anything. My simple question is this. Maybe it was. Maybe Stephen Paddock was a gambler that snapped, decided to take all of his 23 automatic weapons and thousands of rounds and go up and kill a bunch of people for no reason and leave no note. Maybe that's what he did. I don't know. My simple question in the pursuit of the soul trap is, why is nobody asking these tough questions? Why is nobody following up with that young witness there? And why are witnesses dying? And why are security guards going on Ellen? Why is nobody asking why? I don't know why anybody is not, people are not asking why. But I do know that this situation has nothing to do with feelings or emotions. This situation has to do with empirical evidence that is being denied. Empirical, fundamental, scientific, to use the phrase that media loves to use, scientific evidence that is being denied. There's a great video. There's a great video that you ought to take a look at on YouTube. And if you private message me, I'll, begin to, I'll be glad to send you the information. This guy does an unbelievable job on forensic evidence. Listen to what he says and listen to the overlapping scientific evidence that there are multiple gun shooters. That is indicated by this, where you have a rifle round striking the pavement, followed by the low frequency sound effects afterwards. So give this a listen, and then I'll point out something to you about the timing. So did you hear that? Did you hear the rifle rounds hitting the pavement followed by the rifle reports from a distant location? That's very important to recognize because what you can do is you can get the time code of those events. So you see this blue dot here? This is the time code of the last round of the rifle hitting the pavement. And then this is the time code of the last burst of the rifle report from the distance. You know, the low frequency sound. So again, rifle hitting the pavement here, this time code, Rifle report from the distance, this other time code. Notice that the rifle report time code comes after the rifle hitting the pavement, the, the bullets hitting the pavement time code. What you do is you subtract this time code from that time code and you get a gap. I'm calling it the lag time. This lag time might be expressed in a, a fraction of a second. It might be 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, what have you. What's important to understand is that this lag time, because of the laws of physics and the speed of sound and the ballistics coefficient velocity of the bullet itself, this lag time tells you the distance of the shooter from your present location. Now, I'm going to say that again because it's crucial to understanding all of this. The lag time tells you the range of your shooter. If you know the lag time and you know the bullets, the rounds that they're shooting, then you can actually calculate the distance of your shooter. Now, do you see what he's saying? What he's talking about here is not just opinion. He's talking about scientific evidence. All right, let's pick up with this guy again and listen very closely to how the science proves we're being lied to. It shows that there are two shooters, not just one. Two shooters. Two shooters, yes, two shooters. Shooter number one is has a lag time in the audio file of about 0.559 seconds, which, of course, is consistent. Well, look at the chart. 0.559 seconds. Where does that show up on the chart? 0.559 is between 400 and 500 yards. See? Here it is. It's about 450 or 425 yards, what have you. What is that? 
Oh, that's the distance of Mandalay Bay, isn't it? So we know we have one shooter at a distance of 425 to 450, maybe 475 yards at the high end. That's consistent with a shooter at Mandalay Bay. Now, of course, we can't tell the height, you know, what floor they're on from the acoustic analysis, but we can tell the range because of what I just showed you on the other side of this board. So we know, we have confirmation through this acoustic forensic analysis method that there is a shooter at 425 to 450 yards. But we also have another shooter that shows up in this acoustic analysis. This is the bombshell breaking news. Shooter number two appears throughout the audio files, and shooter number two has a lag time of 0.374 seconds. 0.374 is on this chart, go back here, 0.374 is between here and here, so it's between 200 and 300 yards. So we have a second shooter at between 200 and 300 yards. That second shooter happens to be around 250 yards away from where these recordings are being recorded. Now what's interesting is that this is intermixed in with shooter number one. So you hear some, if, if you look at the audio file and you do a very detailed forensic analysis as I have done, shooter number one, their rounds are there, but shooter number two, their rounds are also there mixed in. Now you can't hear the difference just with your human ear. Why? Because the time differences are so slight. We're talking about 0.559 seconds versus 0.374 seconds. What is that difference? Like 0.18 something. That is, that is not, like you can't hear 0.18 seconds difference just with the human ear. You have to take the waveforms and you have to plot them in software and you have to take the time signatures, the time codes, and do the math. And only then can you really tell the distance of the shooter. But that's what I did. And that's why this is called a forensic acoustic analysis. Because forensic acoustic analysis. Now, what he's saying is true to a large degree, but I've spoken with a lot of men who are, um, let me say, highly trained weapons operators who can hear the difference in the tone. One of the things that you can hear when you listen to the audio files is you can listen to the difference in the tone, even though they're overlapping. There is a difference in the tone, the sound, the pitch of the caliber that's being used. Now, I've only played you just a couple of audio that detail and show that something else is going on, something that we are not being told about. And it's not just the audio. The list of confusion and question goes on and on. Scientific evidence. Again, there's just too much that doesn't make sense. One of the most interesting things to me is the fact that the hotel room where Stephen Paddock supposedly did all the shooting, there were pictures taken and they were leaked almost immediately. It took a year and a half to get pictures of a jet plane that hit the Pentagon. We still have seen no reports or pictures from building number seven. We're blocked out of so much. We don't know what happened here and there. But now all of a sudden, in less than 72 hours, we have pictures leaked to us of Stephen Paddock's room showing the crime scene, the suicide note. That's not strange to anybody. Were there additional shooters? Taxi, driver report, taxi drivers were reportedly capturing video of an automatic weapon being fired on a lower level close to the fourth floor where many police officers at the time thought fire was coming from. No, 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 no. That was just a light flashing in somebody's room. That's what that was. Okay. 
Why were law enforcement authorities discussing another suspect on the fourth floor? Some people have reported, as John Rappaport did in his article, that it would have been physically impossible for Stephen Paddock at his age and ability to be able to carry out what he did. No military background, not a gun guy at all. How was he able to operate such advanced weapon systems? We're told by the mainstream media that he was able to do that, but it doesn't make sense for anybody that has any understanding of how these weapon systems work. These are not systems that any Joe off the street can just pick up and use effortlessly and mow down 500 people. Running these weapon systems requires some training, experience, stamina. Some people believe it would be physically impossible for a guy at Stephen Paddock's age to operate a system in the sustained effective manner that he supposedly did. We're not talking about a Navy SEAL. We're not talking about Jason Bourne. We're talking about a retired accountant, a senior citizen with a supposed gambling problem and obvious flabby physique. Yet this guy is able to do something that most military people with highly trained ability are not able to do. Why was a woman yelling in the crowd that they were going to die less than 45 minutes before the shooting took place? This was not some street preacher. They're a dime a dozen in Las Vegas. This was a strange, unidentified woman who was screaming and warning the crowd, you're all going to die. Have you heard about that? Has anybody followed up? No, it's been poo-pooed and thrown under the carpet. Why did it take law enforcement 72 minutes to get into Stephen Paddock's hotel room? As I've mentioned so many times before, they tell us the story post-facts. They said that they didn't go in because they, quote, knew the suspect was contained. How did they know the suspect was contained? How did they know that there weren't more suspects in there? How did they know their guy wasn't going to start launching a rocket launcher or grenades or bring the building down? We already have heard reports that police thought there were shooters at gate seven. They thought there were multiple shooters, at least three Why did Paddock wire $100,000 to the Philippines, to his girlfriend? And why was his girlfriend in the Philippines? A large, large Islamic base being there in the Philippines. Did she know what was going to happen? Well, we've, we've talked to her now. We know. Why don't we know? Why don't we know who she is? We know the security guard. We know his brother. Nobody's been able to get an interview with her. Why not? Was Paddock on antidepressants? Why was ISIS so eager to take responsibility for this attack and why was the FBI so quick to dismiss the connection? ISIS claimed that they radicalized him, that they were involved in it and supported it. The FBI said, no, that's not true. Okay, off we go. So quick. Apparently, Stephen Paddock had earned millions of dollars through real estate deals. If so, why was, and he was so wealthy, why was he all of a sudden snapping because of a little bit of gambling debt? Why did he move so frequently? Why was he involved with the Department of Defense? And what exactly was his job? Why were the concert venues blocked off? As one Fox News caller who was there by the name of Russell Black, who has ceased, uh, who has since this interview not been able to be located, he stated, quote, there were 10-foot walls blocking us in. We could not escape. It was just a massacre. We had nowhere to go. Why was the country music venue targeted? Was it Trump? Was it just coincidence? Why? The fact of the matter is there, is, there is nothing about this that makes sense. One of the things that's most telling to me is that there is no real big push from the Democrats to cut guns and no real big push from the GOP to go after ISIS. It's as if 
the Democrats and the Republicans and the media, they all want it just to go away. Why? Now we find the security guard. We learn that he has ties with Mexico, which apparently so did Lee Harvey Oswald before he shot Kennedy. People are lying. People are dying. Nobody knows. Now we have a report coming out that there is new video via Twitter from Veritas Group that shows supposedly a body covered on the ground floor of the Mandalay Bay the night of the shooting. Who was this guy that got shot? Why weren't we told about that? Nothing makes sense. And then when you continue to go on, what about the reported shootings? There is video of a lady and shootings that took place, not just at Mandalay Bay, but at the Bellagio, the New Yorker. But go on YouTube and see the videos buried. Go on YouTube and you'll find out that nobody cares. Everything has moved on. It's over with. It happened. It's rough. But we've got to get back to Donald Trump and these stinking Russians. Now, as I said, I don't really have a theory. And I hate that. I don't really have a theory of why this took place. But I do have facts that state it did not take place the way that we are told. Ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there were more than one shooters. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there may have been more shooters in that room than Stephen Paddock. And I'll tell you this, I don't think Stephen Paddock was the shooter. I think Stephen Paddock quite possibly was a patsy. Was it an inside job? What's the point? I don't know what it's accomplished. Was it an ISIS terrorist attack? It could be. Was it a arms deal that went bad maybe but why would you then break windows out and start shooting people i don't know i don't have the foggiest clue and it is very very confusing but all you have to do is listen to the audio all you have to do is listen and recognize and realize there's at least two shooters and if you've got two shooters and we're being told that there's one by definition you have a conspiracy and I would submit to you outside of 9-11 and outside of the Kennedy assassination, we may have one of the greatest conspiracies ever in the United States of history for the simple reason that now we have empirical evidence. Well, we can't end our little foray into the strange and macabre without dealing with, with the sad case of Kimberly Kimberly Hugh died and was a survivor of the shooting. Vegas shooting survivor Kimberly Sicomel dies suddenly, report says. Grandmother says she suffered from seizures. Kimberly, a woman who survived the Las Vegas mass shooting earlier this month, died suddenly this week, according to local media reports. The 28-year-old died early Monday in her Apple Valley, California home, said her grandmother, Julie Norton. She found her just after 8.30 a.m. when she arrived to care for her three-year-old great-granddaughter, Scarlett. Norton thinks that Kimberly died when her husband, Mike, left for work, reported the VV Daily Press, based in Victoria, California. 
Kimberly had previously explained to local media outlets about how she and her friend escaped as a gunman identified as Stephen Paddock shot at them from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel on October 1st. He killed 58 people and wounded hundreds more. Quote, that was the night of my life and the lives of my friends and so many others were changed forever. I might have escaped unharmed, but I know that I've been emotionally and mentally scarred for life. However, Kimberly's death drew significant attention because she made a Facebook post that claimed there were multiple shooters, not just Paddock. Now, this is not a young lady who's crazy, insane. I would bet you she probably never listened to Alex Jones. And chances are she, she's just your regular average person. But she went on Facebook and she claimed that there were multiple shooters. Quote, we couldn't hide because they, and I do mean they, were chasing us. Now, remember the audio that we played of the young lady early in the broadcast? Remember how she said that they were all around? Remember the officer that said that there was a shooter at gate seven? Here is a woman who said, we couldn't hide because they, and I do mean they, were chasing us. That exact moment is when I started to really panic. That is the exact moment in which I thought this was it. I was going to die. I was never going to see my family again. So as we are running, we approach this fence where men are throwing women over and we ran up to it as they knocked it down. So we were able to get out, she wrote. Again, notice that they were fenced in. She later added, I kept looking back expecting to see gunmen and I say men because there was more than one person. There was more than one gun firing, 100% more than one, end quote. Las Vegas police and other officials have said that Paddock acted alone in the shooting. Now, Kimberly did have epilepsy, and she had been prone to seizures. She told her friend that she recently had three, uh, had three focal seizures. I believe the stress from the shooting took her life. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. I mean, she didn't have a seizure the night when she's being chased and shot at. That's not enough stress to give her a seizure there. No, she's, she has a seizure when she's stressful at 8 a.m. in the morning, kissing her husband goodbye as he goes to work. That, that's when she gets stressful and has a seizure and dies, right? When her medication stops working. This thing stinks six ways to Sunday. The truth is, I don't know that we'll ever know the truth but I do know that we have been told a lie. Do your investigation. Do your own reports. Send in more ideas. This is not the last podcast we're going to do about this. I think there is a wealth of information that is out there yet to be gleaned. And we need to keep it in the forefront. We are seekers of truth. And seeking the truth means first sometimes coming to the conclusion that what you're being told is a lie.